Anyways, yeah, so 10 years ago, the Fremont campus put that, um, and they actually stole it from another church, but that's okay. And um, so then they threw in the 10 years later, Logan's over there. We appreciate Stan and Matt in the background there, making sure everything looks good. So anyways, again, if you cried, I'm sorry, because I, I know how powerful that was. So anyways, well, happy Father's Day. Again, this is a day for some, it's, uh, it's a good day, for others may not be. Uh, such a good day, uh, or maybe even struggling through it. I know Kim and I lost both of our fathers uh, right before Christmas, uh, within three weeks of each other, so we're kind of a new Father's Day for us, something different. Um, but here's, here's two great things, especially we who are Christians, that we can celebrate about Father's Day. The first one is this, we've got a good father, right? Our Heavenly Father, the one who provided for us the salvation that, that we have, and He's the one who's promised to provide for us, to protect us, um, and to fight for us. And so we know that everything he brings into our lives, allows into our lives, is there for a reason, for a purpose, for us to know him better, to see him at work in our lives through those circumstances, no matter how bad they might be. Um, And he wants to show himself faithful. And then the second thing is, again, and this is really for all of us, but specifically fathers, you know, depending on um, what you think, think of your father or, or the frustrations you might have had or um, regrets that you might have. Um, the great thing is that God has given us through the Bible how we can do what we need to do to be the fathers that he wants us to be. And so um, things may not have been the best in the past for you, but you can change things for the future. Um, I had great parents, uh, but they weren't perfect. And so there's things that I... Um, kind of wished would have happened in life, but that doesn't mean my kids have to miss that, right? And so between God's Word and Kim, who's a great coach, uh, I've been able to, I think, become a maybe even a better father than my, my dad was. Um, but of course, I've messed up in other areas, but we won't go into that. Um, I want to welcome Jason and Lauren. There they are over here. So Jason and Lauren, Jason's our uh, pastoral resident. And so he starts on Tuesday. Uh, Lauren starts her job tomorrow. So uh, they were able to get up here from Pensacola, Florida, and get moved in. And so we're excited about having them. So make sure after service you, you uh, um, fight over who's going to take them off for dinner. <clears throat> um, or at least, you know, introduce yourself to them. So. And then we'll have a pop quiz. Um, oh, then also, I forgot to mention this at 9 o'clock, too. Mm. So this Thursday at 7 o'clock, a normal Bible study um, night, we're going to take it and have as kind of a welcome party for these guys. And so there'll be some good food and, and all that kind of stuff. And if you want information, uh, I don't want to give, give all the information now, but there's a little card out at the information center. So um, we want to bless them in some way as a church, and you can find out what that is. You guys can't go grab it and find out what it is. Okay. Anyways, excited to have them. But we are in a series called Zip It. And we're talking about the things that as Christians that we shouldn't be saying if we're going to represent Christ well and if we're going to continue to grow relationship, build trust in our relationships rather than the distrust and destruction these things can do in our lives. And so today we're going to be talking about lying. And as it pertains to lying, again, Christians need to zip it. So, And just FYI, I'm not going to be talking about lying until all the way at the end. But just to say this about lying, we understand what lying is, right? Everybody gets it. You know, it's 
not telling the truth. It's withholding some of the truth. It's shading the truth. And for the sake of Jesus Christ, we're not to be telling lies in order to get something that we want or to keep something from happening or to hide some sin or to, I've heard this excuse before where, you know, I don't want to tell the truth to the person because I don't want to give, make them have any more pain than they already have, you know. Okay, again, lying is something that Christians shouldn't be doing. It's something uh, we can work through and actually uh, use for God's glory and the growth of our relationship. Jesus said this in John 8, 44. Whenever he, speaking of Satan, speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And so as Christians, if we're going to be individuals who choose to lie, we're really representing our old father, right? The, the life that we used to live. And now we're to be representing our heavenly father. So go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to start in uh, verse 17. It's page 1172 if you're using the Bible there in the seats. And as you do, let me just give you the context. Uh, how did we get to this passage? And it's uh, this. So right after um, Paul gets done, chapters 1 through 3, he's, he's talking about this incredible salvation that God has provided for us. The fact that even before he ever created the world, he knew uh, who would come to Christ. And, and so he talked about, Paul talks about the fact that Christ did come and he dies on the cross for our sins. And then God, the Holy Spirit, when we place our faith in Christ and God forgives us of our sins, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and he's our guarantee. He's the one who's going to make sure we get to heaven one day. And just this incredible doctrine. And then in Paul's letters, he talks about doctrine or theology. And then there's a, there's a response to that. The doctrine and theology actually impact how we live our lives. And so in 4, 1 through 6, he says, hey, this is our purpose. Those of you who have placed your faith in Christ, those who are in a relationship with God, this is your purpose, and that is to, to live a life that accurately represents who Jesus Christ is, to, to represent God, to live a life worthy of the calling that we have is how we phrase it. 7 through 16, he starts talking about the fact that God's gifted us and he's commanded us to serve, and through our serving, grow spiritually. Serve within church family, and through that, grow spiritually, both as an individual. So what he's saying here is, serving brings spiritual growth. If we're not serving, we're not growing spiritually. As we serve and we grow spiritually, our church grows spiritually and healthy. And if, our, if we're not doing that, well, then there's parts of us that are not healthy. We're not as healthy as we could be. And again, it might be kind of shocking to some people, but that's what Scripture teaches. And then 17 through the rest of his letter is how are Christians supposed to respond to each other, respond to non-Christians. And so today we want to look at what God's teaching in these verses 17 through 27. And so we're talking about lying and how do we zip it and we need to understand, we need to team up with God, okay? And, and so we need to do these three things simultaneously, and we'll break these down later. But we need to stop the old, we need to read the Word, talking about the Bible, and we need to do the new. All right, so that's the three things, and they, we need to do them simultaneously. Not one or the other, not two of the three. All three simultaneously at work in our lives, constantly, and we'll see that through the words that Paul uses. And here's a huge point. Yes, we're talking about lying today. But the principles that we're going to be talking about, the, the stop, the read, and the do, that's all a principle for life in general, okay? 
for every area of our life. We've got to nail this down as Christians. Because some of you who have been here for a while, you might be thinking, well, man, you know, he keeps on talking about this stuff. Right, I do, and there's two reasons why. One is because the Bible keeps talking about it this way. Right? God keeps having the authors of the Bible, when he say, hey, how do we live life? He really tells us three things, four things, and it's just same things over and over and over. Maybe different words, different angles, but the principle is still the same. And so that's why I do it. The second point is that's why I do it, because God says to do it. And there's no other way of doing the Christian life. If you want to sense God's strength, you know, if you want to sense Christ's joy in your life that he talks about having, if you're looking at your Christian life, you say, man, this is not, this is not what I thought it was going to be. I'm telling you, you're not doing it right then. Because God's word tells us how to do it right. And these three things are three key things that we need to be doing, not just to stop lying, but to change as God wants. We have to if we want our words to change, our thinking has to change. If we want our actions to change, our thinking has to change. And that's what we're going to be talking about again today. Because this will transform your life and, and allow you to handle whatever challenge God is bringing into your life. Our, our church family right now, we've got several families going through some real big challenges. And, and sometimes it's just like, Lord, what is, what is going on? Listen, if nothing else, what is going on is God allowing them and allowing us to come around them in order for God to continue to grow us into spiritual, mature people. That's what he's doing. He wants to become more and more like Christ. And the thing that's in our life that we're struggling with now is the thing that he wants us to work through in order to continue that growth process. Because God allows everything into your life. Whatever's going on in your life, God's allowing that. And it's allowing it for you or for me, depending on you know, who's dealing with it, to work through whatever the challenge is to become more like Christ. All right? Okay, so let's, uh, let's see what Paul's got for us. Starting out. I'm just going to read a few verses, talk about them, read a few verses, talk about them. If you're a first-time attender, you're going like, what in the world is going on up there? Um, so I highlight um, specific words. This, when I'm reading the Bible, this is how I do it. I highlight certain words, the kind of important words. And then I, I kind of remind myself of what those words are. Because what, what ends up happening with me is I read the Bible and I'll go from one verse to the second, and next verse and I'll forget what the first verse said. You know, so I try to help myself as I read. So I thought, well, maybe people would um, you know, be helped by that. So anyways, so it says this. So, in other words, because of what I just got done, talking about in 4, 1 through 16, Paul says, this I say and affirm together with the Lord, in other words, this is God approved, this is not Paul's opinion, this is God, that you walk or live life no longer just as the Gentiles also walk. In other words, non-Christians, people who have not placed their faith in Christ. Well, how do they live? Well, they live in a futility of their mind. In other words, people who don't have a relationship with Christ, who don't have God's Holy Spirit in them, their thinking is futile. It's useless. It doesn't accomplish anything of any good. Being darkened in their understanding. In other words, they don't have the ability to understand spiritual things. Why? Because they are excluded from the life of God. They, they are estranged. Or the Amplified ber- version used self-banished. What he's saying there is 
that they are excluded from the life of God. Why? Because of the ignorance that is in them. Now, not being mean, ignorance just means they don't know, but they don't know because they're choosing not to know. They're choosing to reject what God says in the Bible. And so therefore they are estranged from him because of the hardness of their heart. So it continues on. And again, this is this unwillingness. This, they're choosing to not believe that Jesus died for them. And they, having become callous, meaning no spiritual sensitivity, um, still an eye clock. Our, back in the day when I was a carpenter, I was also lifting a lot of weights and stuff. And, and so my hands were just big old calluses. My, my one brother was the same way, but, and he used to do his final drywall sanding with his hands because his hands were so rough. But what I would do is I'm watching TV, you know, watching football, whatever, on a Sunday. I would take a pin and I would just start poking through all my calluses and see how far up my fingers I could go before I go, ow! You know? Um, anyways, so that's that. They're not sensitive. Just like a callus on your hand. And so they're not spiritually sensitive. They've given themselves over. It's this complete surrender to sensuality. Now, I put up their sinful, desire-motivated responses. A lot of times we think of sensuality. And we think of the sexual side. And it is the sexual side of life as well. But it, it has this idea of their sense motivated. They, they want their senses uh, stimulated. And so it's what they feel. It's what they think. It's, it's all that feeling side of life. And they want to feel better. So they do whatever they need to do to feel better. And then for every kind of... Uh, practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. And so what he's talking about there is they continue to sin more and more and more. And here's how this plays out. This is where addictions come from. So a person's struggling in life. Something's going on. They're not happy with life. They're whatever. And so something, somebody tells them or something that they read or something that they think that if they do this thing, they'll feel better. And this can be anything, you guys. This can be pornography, this could be drugs, it could be alcohol, this could be um, shopping, this could be exercising. I mean, just, just talk to anybody who's struggling with something. It could be almost anything. Because what's happening is we think we know what we need to feel better. And so we do that thing and we feel better. But it only lasts a short time because especially as a Christian, God's Holy Spirit's us in us saying, no, 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 that's not what you need to feel better. You need to do life God's way. You need to think the way God wants you to think. Respond the way God wants you to respond. We're like, no, no, no. So we feel good, and then, but then we, it goes away. And then we're like, well, I want to feel good again. So we do that thing again. And then it goes away. And then we do the thing again. And then we think, well, maybe I should do it longer. Because if I get more of it, I'll feel better longer. But no, it doesn't last. Why? Because it's not supposed to last. It's not what it's for. We as Christians need to be coming to God and his word and letting him fill the need to give us the joy, to give us the, the peace, to give us what we need in this life. And so, sadly, what happens to people is they get addicted to whatever the issue is. It's, and it's not just physical addictions to things, it's emotional addictions to things. And so that's what he's talking about here. So, Getting back to, to this then. So Paul's point is here, so he's not, he's not reminding or he's not um, telling the Ephesian Christians, hey, this is how uh, non-Christians think. Now, the reason why he's not doing it is because they had just come out of being non-Christians. 
This is a group of new believers. New people have placed their faith in Christ. They know exactly how they used to think. What he's doing is, his point is, Christians, stop thinking that way. Stop thinking like you did prior to coming to Christ. Stop responding to life the way you did prior to coming to Christ. And so I've summarized it here rather than going back and talking about all that. It says, stop responding to life with spiritually dead thinking that rejects God and his design for life and leads to a life addicted to actions that fail to satisfy your desires, needs, and ends up destroying your life and your testimony. He's saying, Christians, stop doing this. This is a spiritual battle that we're in, Christians. If you're wondering, man, why do I have these battles? It's because we still have our sinful minds, we still have our sinful bodies, and this is part of the spiritual growth process. This is part of what God wants us to be going through as he reveals those areas in our lives by putting stuff into our life to show us how we are thinking like ourselves and not thinking the way God wants us to do. We are addicted to our way of thinking. All of us are. We've trained ourselves well, haven't we? For some of you guys, you came to know the Lord later in life. Some of you guys came to know know the Lord when you were younger. But whatever the case, we've been trained well to think the way we think, to think that we think we know better, that this is going to happen. And this happens all the time. As people walk out on Sunday morning, inevitably something may happen in the lobby, something may happen in the parking lot, or as you're pulling out of here, as you're driving down the road, as you go to the restaurant, as you go home, as you go to work the next day, whatever, something happens, and our first response is to respond, right? And it's usually respond the way we've trained ourselves to respond, the, the old self, the, the wrong way. We get irritated, we get frustrated, we start griping, we start sniping, we start, you know, whatever, we start doing that kind of stuff. Because what's happened is something's happened and in our inside we, we get worked up and our, our minds start going, you know, 100 miles an hour and we become anxious or scared or fearful or defensive or whatever. And again, it's just a response that we're used to doing. We've trained ourselves well to do that. And then what happens is this process, if it's not ever stopped, this is what usually happens. And believe me, I've seen this over and over and I've actually experienced it myself. Then, then what we do is we don't go to God's word about it. We actually stop going to God's word for whatever reason. We just, well, I'm not going to spend time and God doesn't want to hear me pray now because I'm so upset and angry. And so we don't go to him in prayer. And then we start, well, I can't be around Christians and I don't want them to know what's going on in my life. So then we isolate ourselves from the family of God that we need to be hanging out with. And then, of course, we're not there, so we're not pouring into other people. And Scripture says when we pour into others is how we find refreshment, but we don't do that. And of course, we're not sharing the gospel. We're not understanding how this situation could be used to share the gospel. And we end up going down this road that ends up destroying us, destroying relationships. Let me ask you, how did Jesus live life? Because think it, Jesus, think about the people that he hung around with. Think about how frustrating the disciples were. If you've read the Gospels at all, you know they are, fr- they are not all at all like us. They are, they are frustrating people. Think of the religious leaders. 
You talk about some irritating, just guys that are always at his heels. What about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? You know, trying to get him in trouble. Jesus had a lot of weight on him ministry-wise. He had people around him constantly. The Bible says they had people just grabbing onto his garments, wanting his help, needing him. How did Jesus handle all that? Now, we get it, he's God. We get it that he's impeccable, so he can't sin. But Jesus is our example for how we're supposed to live. So how did Jesus live? Now, he is the word, right? He wrote the Bible in that sense. But when he was being tempted by Satan, what did he use? He used scripture. What did he do from uh, regularly, as we're told in, in the Gospels? He got away to spend time with God the Father. Sometimes he actually didn't sleep so he could have time with the Father. <gasps> I need my sleep. You don't know what I'm like when I don't have my sleep. Well, Jesus spent time sometimes late at night or early in the morning. He constantly came back to his spiritual family, hung out with the disciples and the others of those who were following him. He was constantly serving, pouring himself into others, not thinking about himself, pouring himself into others. And of course, he's sharing the gospel. He is the gospel. These are the things that we need to be doing as Christians all the time that our mind keeps telling us we don't need. Our mind, when we're thinking in ourselves, is futile. It's useless. It doesn't have understanding. It messes everything up. Paul goes on to say this, but you, you who have professed, yep, professed to have faith in Christ, did not learn Christ, which is kind of an interesting phrase. He doesn't say learn about Christ. He says learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him. Now again, heard him, not heard of him, but heard him. He's talking about this personal call of Jesus Christ on our life. When Jesus Christ said, hey, come to me for salvation, and we took that step of faith and came to him for salvation, and have been taught in him, taught how to view and respond to life, just as truth is in Jesus. That in reference to your former manner of life, how you used to think and how you used to respond, you lay aside the old self, the before Christ's life that is now obsolete. That, that word older means obsolete. It, it's no longer in play anymore. Which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. Now, what he's saying there is, for a person who's not a Christian, this is just constantly happening, but for we who are Christians, we can let this happen. And so as we believe these seductive lies, which are, are you know, what we're telling ourselves, and we continue to think that way, we continue to live that way, it corrupts us. It decays us. It actually destroys us from the inside out. And so he says, we didn't, we didn't learn Jesus. That word learn there means to gain knowledge, but not just gaining knowledge, it's knowledge that produces an effect. It changes the way you respond. It changes how you think and how you live. It's an aorist tense. We're going to be talking a lot about the aorist tense. Some of you thought, I didn't know you were learning a bunch of English grammar. You're not. You're learning Greek grammar. It's aorist tense. And so it's something that happened. So this, this learning Christ, it, it happened at a point in time in your past, but it impacts life today. That decision impacts life today. So you learned him. What he's talking about there is our salvation. We learned 
Jesus, not just about Jesus, but we learned him, who he is, what he's done. And so that decision, and again, this might be new to some of you guys, so, you know, live in this, because this is awesome. So what, when you pray to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, he just didn't save you from your sin and make sure you're going to heaven. But he's, he's also made it so that this decision is going to impact the rest of your life, how you live your life. So just a side note, um, again, sometimes I give you some free words and this is it. So this is why um, when a person would say to me, hey, I, I've always believed. And why I challenge a person when they say that, because the Bible says you can't have always believed. The Bible says that salvation is a point in time decision where you understand that you are a sinner separated from God and if that doesn't get taken care of, you'll spend eternity in hell. But then you understand, oh man, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. That's awesome. I want that. And you say, God, please forgive me of my sins. I'm trusting that Jesus died in my place. That's salvation. Boom. Now, it also it makes it hard you know, for me, again, because I have to have these conversations a lot of times, and maybe you have these conversations with people, but a person who says, well, I don't really, I don't really know when that happened. See, physical birth, you know when that happened, right? I mean, at least you know the date. And so like with salvations, it's kind of hard for when people say, ah, I'm not really sure. So that's what I say. Let's make today the day is sure. You know, let's make today the day you know you've placed your faith in Christ. Because salvation is a point-in-time decision you have with God that has its effect for eternity and certainly in this life. So Paul says, if indeed you've heard. And he's not questioning their salvation there. He's not questioning their faith. He's saying, it's actually in the Greek, it's probably better to say seeing that or since you heard him, since you've taken that personal call for yourself, since you've answered him and placed your faith in Christ, and then you were taught in him. And again, this has the same ideas, to teach so that the will of the student will change. So God is always at work in us after salvation to change our wills, to change the way we think. We talked about it last week. So look at this change that's happened. I wanna, I'm really trying to move through this stuff this morning because there's a lot. So look at this change. And it's completely opposite of what we talked about in 17 through 19. It says, for who has known the mind of the Lord that we will instruct him? Well, no one has, except for we who are Christians, we have the mind of Christ. Why? Because God's Spirit's living in us. He indwells us. He empowers us. He gives us the ability to understand God's Word. We have the mind of Christ. Our thinking, if we allow God to be the one who empowers our thinking, we get into His Word, which we'll talk about here in a bit, if we allow that to happen, our thinking is no longer futile. Why? Because we're thinking like Jesus. So now it has power. Now it has impact because the Holy Spirit is impacting. Look at the next one. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Talking about non-believers. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light. So we're no longer uh, in darkness, spiritual darkness. We are in spiritual light in the sense that we have understanding. How do we have understanding? God's given us the Bible and God's given us his Holy Spirit to teach us and give us understanding. Here's the last one. For we have become united with him, no longer estranged. Remember, before we were estranged. 
in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be united in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self, which is what we're talking about, was crucified with him, dead, gone, no more power over us. If we don't want it to, it won't, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we, I'm getting out of breath, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died, speaking of Christians, they're freed from sin, freed from its impact, again, if we allow it to be so. And he goes on to say, truth is in Jesus. So he says, truth is in Jesus. Say, truth is in Christ. He says, Jesus. And I think he's trying to reference back to how did Jesus live his life? So if you want to know how to truly think and how to truly live, look at Jesus' life. Read the Gospels and then the rest of the New Testament that's talked about that. So, moving along. So then, as those who know and follow Jesus, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to lay aside our old self. Lay aside means to rid oneself of or to put aside or stop doing what he used to do. It's in the aorist tense again. So at that point of salvation, it's making an impact us in us today. And the impact is, no, I don't want to do the old way. I don't want to think the old way. I don't want to respond the old way. It's obsolete. It's inferior. It's useless. No, I don't want to be corrupted by the lust of deceit. I don't want my mind telling me what I think is right and wrong. I don't want to be pulled away from God. I want to be drawn close to God. I want to reject what he's telling me to do. I want to accept it. I want to pull it in close. And so we have a decision to make. Each and every day, moment by moment, situations that we come up against. Am I going to believe myself? And if I could just say this, most often our first response is ourself. So your first response, you know, maybe put it in park, hit the brakes, put it in park, back the truck up a little bit and double check to make sure what you're thinking is what you're thinking. Or second question is, I mean, I trust what God says, what Christ says, what the Bible says for how I'm supposed to respond. And again, it's not easy, right? It's not easy. Because everything in your head is telling you, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Why? Because you've trained yourself. And so we, we've got to, through this process, now how does that change happen? Look at what Paul says next. Go to the next one. He says this, and, so along with stopping the old, simultaneously, that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Let God remodel how you think. This is the read the word. This is bringing God's word in. It says be renewed. This is passive. It's actually a present tense and a passive voice, meaning it's something that we allow God's spirit to do in us. Day in, this is the present part, day in, day out, no matter the circumstances, no matter what we're thinking, no matter what we're telling ourselves, no matter what's going on around us, no matter what we might think, other people might be thinking about it, I just let God's spirit change how I think. So how does he do that? Let me just throw some more verses up at you. God changes our thinking and changes our lives. We've talked about this a lot here. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to think like this world, which is the old self, but be transformed, this new self, by the renewing of your mind. So change how you think. So you may prove what the will of God is. You'll, you'll Prove to yourself, you'll show yourself the truth of the matter is that God's will is good, acceptable, and perfect. What God's calling you to do, commanding you to do, saying, hey, Christian, follow me, that that is the right way to go. But you had to take that step of faith first. You have to let God change how you think and then let him empower you 
to do it his way. Philippians 2, we talked about this last week. Work out your salvation, this new life, or new self, with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will, change your thinking, and to work, empower your, your obedience for his good pleasure. What's his good pleasure? For you to become more like Jesus Christ. For me to become more like Jesus Christ. And God penetrates our deepest thoughts and attitudes. Hebrews for the word of God is living, it's active, and it's sharp. You ever wonder when you're reading God's word and something pops up and you're like, oh, wow, I've never saw that before. Why? Because living and active, God's Holy Spirit is just teaching you something, which is awesome, which is why you need to be in his word because there's nothing like sitting there reading and all of a sudden, wow, I just understood something. Because that's God teaching you personally. If something convicts you here from God's word, that's God teaching. And it's piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. God's Word does that in us. And then God's Word works its work in us. We talked about this last week again. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the Word of men, but for what it really is, the Word of God, which also performs its work in you. It's God's word that is going to perform the change in you that needs to happen. It's God's word that performs or gives you the power to do life God's word or God's way. So we do life from, from this point of salvation. We are being changed and it's being changed because we're in God's word and God's word's showing us that. So we stop the old, we read his word and he empowers us to do the new. And this is but he says, and, so while doing all these other things, put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God. Think about that for a while. Has been created by God in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So we put on, we take on the characteristics, the virtues, the intentions. What is that God wants us? It's in the era's tense again. So this is something that happened at our point of salvation. And it has effects on us today. It's in the middle voice, which means we do it. We participate in this. We read the Bible. God changes our thinking on this. Then we say, I need to do life God's way. We take a step of faith. God empowers us to do that. And so that's that middle voice. And so at salvation, this is the decision that was made. You might be learning this, and that's great if you are, because that's awesome. God, when he saved you, wasn't just taking away your sin. It wasn't just making sure you're going to go to heaven. He put his Holy Spirit in you. And he says, I want you to become more like me. It says this new self is in the likeness of God. Is that up there? Yeah, the likeness of God. In other words, he's not saying you're God, okay? And you'll never become God, and I'll never become God. But we can be like him. We can think like him, and we can respond like him. He says, you were created in righteousness and truth. That means to bring something into existence and it's only ever used in the Bible for what God does. So this is God taking something and completely changing it, going from old to new, from useless to useful. It happened at the moment of salvation that you were given his righteousness. You were given your holy calling to be like God. Paul says in Ephesians 5, 1, in a few verses, imitate God. And so, man, when we're challenged to do life our way, we need to stop ourselves and say, okay, am I imitating me and Satan in that sense? Or am I imitating God? And then understand, wow, I can actually imitate God here. How awesome is that? Yeah, it's pretty cool, I think. Anyways. Well, we finally got to lying. All right, you ready for this? 
All right. Therefore, because of all the stuff we just got done talking about, laying aside falsehood, the old, right? And because God doesn't lie, and we need to be like him, speak truth, which is the new, because God only speaks truth. Each one of you to his neighbor, which comes out of Zechariah 8, 18, 8, 16, it's Old Testament, for we are members of one another, because we are a spiritual family. You here who are followers of Jesus Christ, we have a tie to each other. We are united by something greater than blood. We're united by God the Holy Spirit. And we're going to spend not just this life together, we're going to spend eternity together. So why do we not lie to each other? Well, because God isn't the God of lies, and we want to be like him. But we obviously want to bring unity and strength and trust into our church family, into all the relationships. So we lay aside, Eris 10, so I won't go into it. We lay aside falsehood, and we know what falsehood is. We know what lying is. I don't have to get into all the different ways that is. We know if we're lying or not. We need to speak the truth. It's that which is accurate, which is true. We need to speak the truth to ourselves, but we also need to speak the truth to other people. Why? Because God never lies. God always speaks the truth. And we have God the Holy Spirit in us. And we have God's word given to us so that we can put away the lying and we can tell the truth. And the last one is this. I threw something in here for you. You may be like, what in the world is he doing this for? He finishes out. He says, be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. Now, why did I put that in there? Anybody? So, when someone lies to us and we find out, what's our first response? I, I cannot believe that you lied to me. How dare you? Of course, we're not looking at any of the lies that we've ever told, even to that person. We're just offended. I can't believe you lied to me, right? We get angry. The verse says we can be angry. And you know what? We should be angry because lying only hurts. Lying only destroys. Lying is not righteous. Lying is not truth. And so as Christians, we should be angry about that. They're lying and our lying. But in response to the person who's lied to us, we can't sin. What's he saying there? It's interesting because the being angry uh, or do not sin is a present imperative. In other words, stop the process that's begun. And so what he's saying there is, yes, you're angry, but put the brakes on. Hit those brakes, put it in reverse, back the truck up, beep, beep, beep. You know, just take a breath, walk out of the room for a moment, say, I'm going to be right back. I just need to... But then when you do that, don't sit there and just... Oh. Because <laughs> that's you thinking. That's me thinking. No, what you do is you go, get away, maybe have a Bible, grab a Bible, or maybe have God, you know, ask God to give you some verses that you've memorized, but get into God's Word and say, God, I just need your help here. How do I need to move forward in this? And then when the Holy Spirit's kind of calmed you down, and you go back to the person and you forgive the person, that's what God tells you to do which means you're not going to use it against them in the future. And then you, if need be, if it's a lie that continues to happen, you need to put in some you know, boundaries, some trust builder type of things. 
point is, we can be angry, but we can't sin in that. We can't continue on with the initial thought. Why? Because we're going to give the devil an opportunity. We're going to give that devil op- the devil an opportunity for us to sin, to bring division and hurt into that relationship, into our church family, whatever it is. He said, don't let, the, don't let the sun go down on your anger. What's he mean by that? He means do it quickly. Don't let this drag on and on and on. Get with God. Get your heart and your mind straight. Commit to doing it God's way. Lay aside the old. Read the word. Let God renew the way you're thinking. And then do the new. Go back to the person and lovingly, caringly, gently work through that situation. So what are our takeaways for today? There's a lot in here. So I'm, just, I'm suggesting a couple. God might be laying something else on your heart. But first one is, do you understand what happened when you place your faith in Jesus for salvation? Man, if you haven't, study it out. Get to know it. Come in and chat with me and I can work you through some passages. I can shoot you some passages and you can read through what God has done for you. It's awesome. And it's worth it to let him live it out in and through you. And secondly, how important is the Bible to you? You know, how important it is to you is how much time you spend in it. And when you're in it, what you do with it. And I'm telling you, if you're not going to be in it, you're not going to be able to have the renewed thinking that you need to have to put away the old and to put on the new. You're not going to have the power that you need through God's Holy Spirit to put away the old and put on the new. It's God's Spirit using God's Word to change how we think that changes how we respond. Let's go ahead and stand. We'll close in prayer.